This is episode number 87 of the Ships Podcast with Pat Matsueda. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Ships. I have a very special guest joining us on the show today. Her name is Pat Matsueda, and she is the managing editor of Manoa, an international literary journal published twice a year by the University of Hawaii Press. She is very interested in the effects of rapid technological advancement on human behavior especially ethical behavior and identity. You can find out more about her work at www.someperfectfuture.com. So you might be wondering why I'm specifically excited to have Pat on the show today. Well, not only does she share my name, but she was one of the early supporters of my work. When I was writing about these topics, when I was really doing a lot of research and giving my two cents into what I thought and how I believed we could cultivate meaningful connections. She and I connected and really bonded, and she became a strong supporter of the mission that I was pursuing. And she also brings a lot of value into this space, specifically as a writer. We talk about how writing condenses experience and thought and why this is specifically important in today's digital age. We discuss how technologies have the ability to create alternate realities, how smartphones can amplify problems that we experience in our lives, and also how it is important to remember that we are adequate. We are enough without technology. We also discuss that morality should be clean of bias and that we need to structure our lives with some sort of moral foundation in order to have a better and deeper understanding of who we are. So if you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Maybe share it with someone who they're not quite sure who they are. I mean, all of us are always trying to figure out who we are. It's this never-ending path. So if you know someone who this will resonate with, send it their way. So without further ado, let me please introduce Pat Matsueda. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today, our guest is Pat Matsueda. Pat, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so honored. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. When I was really starting out my work in talking about the influence that technology is having on us, is having on human relationships, you are really the one of the first people to engage with my content, to really be proactive in this conversation. And you have this 
really incredible career as a writer that I think is incredibly crucial in today's digital age. I think that writing about these topics is super important and writing in general is just a very powerful way to engage in conversation. So for all those reasons, I definitely wanted to bring you out on the show and I'm, I'm really excited to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I think I'm blushing from those words. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I wonder, I wonder if maybe you could start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Maybe where are you from and what led you on to the journey that you're pursuing today? Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, I'm um, a Japanese-American. My father was in the Air Force. He went to Japan and met my mother. And they started a family. Um, unfortunately, their marriage didn't go well. So my mother uh, brought my sister and me to Hawaii, where my father was from, um, to connect with his parents. Uh, so that's a, a big part of my identity. Um, and I started writing about it uh, when I was uh, quite young, in my early 20s. And... Um, I found that writing um, gave me a big chunk of my identity. So I'm what you might call a Japanese American writer, but I'm I'm really interested in um, issues that go far beyond ethnicity and race and things like that. I'm really interested in the the whole scope of the humanities. And when I saw your um, post on the Humane Tech Community Forum, um, I thought, well, here's someone who's, who's starting out in this area, um, just as I am, and maybe, you know, we can offer each other something. So that's why I wrote to you, and I was really happy that you responded. Oh, yeah. It was certainly great to have that collaboration going. And I think with this type of work in talking about technology and its impact on how we relate and communicate to one another, I think that collaboration is of the utmost importance. And so I, I was really glad that we ended up connecting. And given your really your immense experience as a writer from starting out from your experience as a Japanese American to all the wide variety of topics that you have written about. Why do you believe writing is such a powerful medium? And why do you believe it's powerful, especially in today's digital age? Well, that's a great question. First of all, um, I think writing condenses uh, experience and thought. That's what makes it powerful. Each word um, uh, in connection with the following word um, creates a, a reality. And that reality can be very powerful and persuasive. It's sort of like writing a play. Um, since you're an actor, um, you know uh, how deep, how enthralling plays can be. No, absolutely. So, um, yeah. And uh, we each find our voice through our writing and uh, so we have a combination of voice, particular voice and individual voice and the, the power of writing, you know, the concentration of experience and thought. And then when we share that writing, we're able to connect with others. Um, 
one one thing that the humane tech community gave me, you know, which is where you and I met, is this um, opportunity to to connect with strangers, uh, people that I didn't know but who had shared values, but more importantly had shared goals. You know, we're all moving towards the same things, uh, trying to trying to help each other, trying to clarify this very confusing world that we live in, and trying to come up with solutions, you know, healing solutions. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. I think that what is great about the online world and the internet is that it does allow you to meet people that you probably wouldn't have met otherwise. I mean, take, for example, you and I, both both Pats with an M last name. <laughs> uh, we we uh, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have had the opportunity to connect and meet one another if it weren't for the internet. And I think that writing has a very specific place in the internet as well because we are able to see what other people have written whether it's an article or a blog post or any other sort of written medium on on the web and we're able to take that and then really dissect it and then also add in our own voice as well with regards to commenting or, or even even liking a post. So it's kind of interesting how we can have that sort of conversation. And that really leads me into my next question regarding what got you interested in writing about technology and its influence on human behavior? Well, that, that is a, another good question. Um, I wasn't interested in um, the issues of um, you know, digital technology, um, surveillance, invasion of privacy, and so forth, until I read an article that appeared in The New Yorker. And this article was actually about a filmmaker, you know, an artist um, like you and me, Laura Poitras, who uh, made the film Citizen Four, which is about Edward Snowden. So as I read that, I understood why she was so drawn to her subject, why she risked, risked so much to tell the story of Edward Snowden. And then I also understood why he was risking so much to share his what he had discovered with um, Americans and other citizens around the world. I think it was the, the power of that commitment, the degree of danger and risk, um, that made a very terrific impression on me. And um, I suddenly saw everything differently. You know, a microphone was no longer an innocent microphone. You know, a smartphone was no longer innocent. These things had the power to, um, you know, create false identities for us, if they were manipulated, they had the power to intrude on our private lives. Um, they had the power to create realities that, that we didn't create ourselves, you know, and so forth. So um, I, I'm afraid I've, I've become a little bit tiresome because I do rail against smartphone, smartphones so much. Um, I don't I'm not sure if you read that piece I wrote about the false missile attack that happened in Hawaii a couple of years. Yes. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm wondering if for our listeners out there, if you could tell that story for us, because it really is a powerful story. I think our listeners would enjoy hearing about it. Yeah. Well, a, a couple of years ago, um, there was um, there's an agency of the state government that sends out alerts if Hawaii citizens are endangered. So one one member of that office um, mistakenly um, sent out an alert telling uh, everybody in Hawaii that a missile, a Korean missile, was um, heading towards Hawaii, and um, of course, you know, such missiles travel long distances extremely fast. So that this created a huge panic in Hawaii. Many people, the people with smartphones suddenly saw this alert on their smartphones and the um, TV stations, radio stations started um, broadcasting the same message. And um, I don't know if you can imagine, you know, Hawaii Hawaii has terrible traffic problems. And this happened on a morning. People were suddenly leaving their jobs trying to get to their families, trying to connect with their families. Um, I, I really feel that the smartphones amplified the problem. Um, it didn't allow us that, that really uh, critical, crucial time between something happening and then evaluating it. People just reacted uh, immediately. They, they panicked. They screamed, you know. So uh, I think one man even, um, it even triggered a heart attack for one man wow. who, who, yeah, who um, felt that he, would, he wouldn't see his family again. So um, that's a case where digital technology actually harmed people. And there's, there's a lot written about it. You know, it was in the news for days and days. Um, and then the person who was responsible for the alert. So he eventually came out and explained what had happened. And he said that he did what he did in response to something that happened in his office. So, you know, we, we had the, you know, so-called culprit, but really what was wrong was, was the system. So attempts have been made to correct that. And I, I really hope that, um, you know, that doesn't happen again. But as someone pointed out in the paper, we get false alerts all the time. So um, we have to we have to control not only the technology, the protocols, procedures, and so forth, but we also have to control ourselves. You know, we when when I left my building, I went down the um, elevator. You know, I, I walked into the lobby and there are people who are panicking and they were being led to the, to the basement of our building, you know. So I came back upstairs. I thought about things. I thought, is this really happening? Okay, what do I do if it is happening? So I just sat on my bed with my, my cats, whom I love, and um, I thought, well, let me... Let me enjoy these last few minutes of my existence. Wow. Well, those minutes passed. Those minutes passed, and I thought, okay, I think I'll, 
connect to the internet and see what's going on. And the first thing I found was that it was a false missile alert, you know. And I thought about all the people who had panicked. And I thought, you know, we, we can't just experience this. We've got to learn from it. What is the lesson here? You know, how, well, what can we teach each other? How can we help each other? So that, that's what happened that day. It's amazing how much of a blind trust we as a society have in technology. If something pops up on our phone at maybe a notification, whether it's from social media or whether it's from a news outlet, we are so quick to believe what what it is that's happening or what it is that's you know going on that's supposedly being said in the online world and we take that as reality mm -hmm. and it's really amazing just like in the situation you just described how often it is not actually true yeah well we know you know that world leaders use digital technology to um to create false realities and we we've somehow got to see past them you know, and, and be aware of these attempts at manipulation. They're extremely harmful. You know, I, I've been following the news. I sus subscribed to the Washington Post, and I can barely uh, stand to look at the front page nowadays. Um, you know, it's, it's too upsetting. So I, I have to pick and choose what, what kind of reality do I want to live in? How do I respond to the political situation in the U.S. What can I, is there any way at all I can support people in Australia whose, um, you know, homes are burning? Um, so I have to think hard about these things. And because I have a humanities education, a humanities um, background and mindset, you know, I, I go back to those lessons. And um, I think I think that's a really powerful thing that people can do. That's that's why I admire what you're doing. You know, you're you're creating that foundation. You're helping to strengthen it, and and we really need that to go into the future. We can't just be holding on to our cell phones, you know, as we wait for the days to pass. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that, and I think that our habits and our relationships with our phones, they seem so minuscule. I mean, even though this phone is at our sides all of the time, when we look at the phones or if people are looking at notifications or, or social media, in that moment, it seems like such a small thing, but those small things really add up to a really big thing. So much so that we don't know what is real from fake, and we are losing the ability to be able to communicate with one another in a deep and meaningful way. Yeah, that, that is so true. With, with that said, I mean, I think that you're touching upon this already a little bit, but what would you say are your biggest concerns when it comes to technology today or, or the tech industry? And, and how does being a writer help in these times? Well, when... One thing that I saw recently was that um, fake identities are creating on, are being created on dating sites. So I don't know if it matters to people that they're talking to real people or not real men and women, or they're happy to engage with you know a bot 
Um, I, I think this is really disturbing. Um, you know, we have five senses, and um, they allow us to to exist in this world. And and when those senses are manipulated by digital technology, and and we we develop relationships with these, um, you know, uh, fake people. I think we're, we're really diminished. We're handicapped in some way. I think, as you said, we can no longer tell what's fake and what's real. And that's such a fundamental survival um, tactic that we need. We need to be able to tell the fake from the real. We need to be able to connect with people in a genuine feeling way, um, you know, we need those things. Maybe, maybe that message gets eroded by digital technology, or especially the marketing aspect of it. You know, um, you need this phone. You must get the latest phone because it has this feature and it has that feature. You know, I recently talked to a woman. She was actually going to be on the podcast as well. Her name is Anya Pechko, and we recently had a, a discussion, and she was talking about how tech communicates communicates this message that we are not enough unless we have this technology, and that really got that really got me thinking. And to kind of go off of your point uh, about the marketing messages that we're receiving, they're really working on us on a subconscious level without us realizing it, and then. We instinctually tell ourselves, oh, okay, we need this tech. We need it because society says that we need it. But when you take a step back and really analyze the situation, you realize, oh, actually, perhaps I'm more of myself when I'm away from this technology. Yeah, exactly. I think we, we need to find that we are adequate. And now uh, young people, of course, are different because they're developing, you know, they're learning, they're being educated and so forth. Um, so they, they need to be guided in the right way and just handing them a smartphone and saying, honey, you know, uh, this is a great tool for you. Um, use it 24-7 and, you know, your life will be wonderful. I mean, that, that is really harmful. It is, it is. I'm wondering if we could dive in a little bit more with regards to your writing. I'm wondering if there are specific stories that you come upon, very much like the one that you just discussed with regards to the false missile in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. are, are there specific stories that inspire you to write? Well, that, that is a good question. I'm going to say this M word, which uh, most people avoid this these days, but it's a fundamental concept in the humanities, and, and that M word is morality. Uh, I think morality is, a, you know, it can be used to harm people, as we've seen in um, the way certain religious leaders have conducted themselves. Uh, but we, we've got to develop a morality, I think, that is clean of bias and, um, you know, it, it attempts to, or intent to, to harm and... Um, dominate people. I think that's what I'm trying to do in my writing. I'm very drawn to stories about people who find themselves in this uh, in situations 
where they um, they must choose, they must make a moral choice. Um, I wrote this book called Bedeviled, which is based on the story of someone I know who became kind of uh, trapped in, um, in um, these adult sites that he was visiting. And he, he went to them to satisfy needs that, he, that weren't being satisfied in his real life. And, and gradually he was willing to sacrifice more and more for these sites, you know, sacrifice time with his family, uh, work more so that he would have more money so that he could, um, you know, spend it on these sites and so forth. And uh, in that story, in that book, his um, daughter reappears in, her, in his life. His daughter had left the family because she had um, some emotional and mental problems. And then one day he finds that um, she has left a message on his cell phone. He listens to the message. He goes to where she is, and he he picks her up, and he um, takes her with him to this this uh, place that he's staying. In. And and gradually, by caring for her and helping her to recover from her um, from the mess that she's in, he he gradually strengthens himself. Um, and there's a point in the book where um, he has a chance to get his old laptop back, and uh, but you know it's been cleaned off by this point. And he thinks about uh, the temptations that will come with having this laptop, so he decides to um, implement certain safeguards. He'll only use it in the living room of the house where he's staying. You know, he's staying with his family. Um, he'll he'll only do certain things on it. He'll let the uh, the um, people that he's staying with this this mother and her son. He'll let them set the moral standard for him. Um, and then at the end of the book, sorry, is it okay if I tell the ending or? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, yeah. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. Go go for it. <laughs> Okay, so he does take the laptop back. Um, his daughter is given a, a room in this house that he's staying at. And um, she starts volunteering at the local, li the neighborhood library. And he hopes that one day she'll open a book and she'll start learning again. And then he himself, um, uh, he, he was in the uh, Air National Guard. He decides to um, try um, parasailing. And um, so the very last scene is of him um, jumping off a mountaintop and sailing through the air and then encountering a version of himself, uh, a dying. Actually, it's, it's more like a, a vampire or a zombie. A, version of him lying on the mountainside reaching out for him and he and the wind takes him toward this this figure and then takes him away so that that's how the book ends so he encounters the worst part of himself and by 
um, divine intervention, if if you will, or just a you know an act of grace. Um, he he is saved from returning to um, or or becoming his old self. So that that was a story that was really important to me to tell. Um, you know, it, it kind of expresses all the things we've been talking about. Um, the need for connection, the need for family, inability to tell the false from the true, getting in touch with your feelings, um, recognizing your weaknesses and, and trying to get help. Yeah, the the thing, other thing about this man is that he doesn't ask for help. He seeks um, gratification, you know, on the Internet. But he, he doesn't go to a doctor. He doesn't go to a therapist. And then he's forced by circumstances, which, which I won't describe. He's forced by circumstances to see a therapist. And she confronts all of his, um, you know, wrong ideas and his, his, um, his illusions and uh, prejudices. So anyway, that's the book. <laughs> so, uh Wow. It sounds super powerful. It really is tackling the human condition and really bringing up this theme or this concept of facing ourselves and facing the the best part of ourselves and the worst part of ourselves. And I think that that is I kind of I like how you implement technology in there, too, because I think that's something that many of us are, are doing online as well is trying to curate this version of our, ourselves on the, on, in the yeah. online space that we think might appeal to the greatest audience or the greatest amount of people. But then maybe sometimes we'll look at that and we'll see that's not really me. I mean, you hear all, all the research and the stories about the Instagram influencers who have millions of followers and are just completely unhappy with their lives. And I think that there's a lot of crossover between that whole scenario as well as what you were just describing yeah. in your book. You know, we're, we're bombarded with the messages um, to need this or want that. And then when we get that thing, you know, whatever it is, a new set of clothes, a new tablet, a new car, whatever, um, we're really, there's something fundamental, there's some fundamental need that isn't met. And that's what drives us to the next thing. You know, this car was not enough, the set of clothes was not enough, I need this instead, you know. And I became really aware of this at, at Christmas time. I mean, I, of course, it had been hovering in the background for a long time. But at Christmas, I, I went to all of these sales and I bought a lot of things. And then I thought, here I am. It's no longer Christmas. It's no longer New Year's. And I still feel the impulse to, um, to buy something. Um, and it was, it was kind of sad. I tend to think of myself as a self-aware person. But to realize that I still had this weakness, you know, this desire for, for fulfillment. Um, <clears throat> it was a really humbling thing. I think that's that's another thing that the humanities can do for us that maybe we won't find in digital technology. It's just a sense of humility, <clears throat> a sense of being humbled by life, you know. Sorry, I'm becoming very philosophical now. 
No, no, that's perfect. This is the kind of conversations that I love having on this podcast because we really are talking about what it means to be human and what it means to connect and relate to one another. And I think while there are a wide variety of positives with technology and where we're at technologically in today's age, I think that it there's a lot of danger in technology and social media getting in the way of that sort of humanity that you were just to talk, just talking about. And, and really, I, I think that to go off what you're saying, we really need to oh. lean into the humanities to really gain a deeper understanding of who we are as a human species. Yes, exactly. Who we are and where we're going. I'm wondering, it, it's obviously very clear that you have I would only assume that, you know, given our conversation and given your experience, how how deep and relatable your relationships are in your life. And it's very apparent that you have a core, deep relationship to writing as a profession and to your own writing as well. I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners, what is it that fuels this this passion or this need to write, because I, I think that writing on a consistent basis is definitely a difficult habit to develop, even if you're someone who really loves writing. So, so what is it that fuels this, this need to write? Well, um, I think for me, you know, I'm also a poet and hearing a phrase or, um, Coming up with a phrase is sort of like hearing a piece of music. I'm fascinated by musicians, by the way, um, because I, I really feel that the, the music they produce, their songs, they're really a kind of magic. Um, I guess they, they might look at writers and say, well, what you produce is a kind of magic too. I think the, the place where these two concepts meet is in the phrase. Something begins with a phrase. Um, uh, one of my uh, friends um, got into a terrible relationship with a man, and um, he ended up uh, threatening her and then eventually killing her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I wrote a poem, and uh, it's called Still Center. And you can find it actually at my website, uh, which is... Um, uh, which I'll give you the URL in a second, but it's really a chant. Um, and I didn't realize until after I wrote it that it was a chant. You know, the Hawaiian chant is a very fundamental part of Hawaiian culture, and she was part Hawaiian. So it's, it's a chant to kind of heal, um, you know, the the terrible thing that had happened when, when she was uh, killed. So I think um, the desire to write is related to healing. It's related related to telling stories that don't exist. Um, you know that story that I was telling you about my book, Bedeviled, I'm sure it exists in other forms, but not that particular form. So I like to think of it as unique. Of course, um, you know, that might be true, but I think of it, this particular set of elements is unique. So telling stories, healing, trying to express something that's unique, 
trying to give. Um, I think artists, um, you, you too, you must find this all the time. You have a strong desire to give, you know, to, to your community, uh, whether it be a small audience or, you know, the theater community where you live or, you know, or something. But it's, it's in giving, giving, healing, sharing stories that we really express, I think, what's, uh, what's unique about us and, and what's the best about us. That is, that is super, that's super powerful. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, Pat, I want to thank you for coming out onto the Ships podcast, for not only being on the show, but I also really appreciate the work that you're doing as a writer. I think that writing is a crucially important field today, and it's, I think, only going to become more important to share each other's stories, whether they be fictional or, or nonfiction. I think they're a great way to really dive into our humanity and really assess who we are and what we believe tapping into that morality that you were discussing before so so thank you so much for everything that you do oh thank you thank you pat i i didn't imagine that this conversation would develop in the way it did so i'm really grateful to you for this opportunity to talk and to connect with you and to connect with your listeners i'm I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Before we head out, I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners a platform where they could find out more about you and your work. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people these days have websites that, um, well, the, UR, the URLs are their names, but I decided to do something different. So one day um, I was, you know, musing about things and I thought, to myself, I'm always trying to um, to produce some perfect future, and I thought that's it, some perfect future. So that's what I named my website, someperfectfuture.com, and people can see my writing and and you know find out about my uh, my other interests, which include um, you know photography and music and so forth. So. Anyway, great. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure I'll make sure to include that link in the show notes for our listeners to check out. Okay, thank you. I have one more question for you, Pat. What is your definition of a deep, meaningful relationship? Oh, Pat, you've hit on uh, something that has um, occupied me for most of my life. And that book that I mentioned, Bedeviled, is about that very thing. Um, I used to think that, um, you know, your partner or your mate should be absolutely honest with you and you should be absolutely honest with him or her and, and you would only look at each other and stare at each other and go forward into the future like that. But I realize now that that's not so, it's more important for you to have your identity, your particular individual identity and for your mate to have his or hers, and for each of you to make that strong, and um, and then when you when you um, come together in a relationship, you help each other. 
you know, you're a helpmate, a support. You allow the other person to um, maybe keep things from you or, or do things that he doesn't tell you about, you know, and, and that has to be fine. Uh, but I think there also has to be a moral foundation, and the moral foundation is that you agree on uh, to do certain things, you have certain principles that you won't violate, in that um, there are also other principles that um, you know you will you will protect and you will reinforce. So, sorry, that's that's not a very articulate articulate answer to your question. Oh no, I thought I thought that was great. Uh, yeah, okay. I think that. I think that it's like allowing allowing people to be their authentic selves right. and then being in harmony together while still being their authentic selves and having a moral foundation throughout that. Yeah. Whatever that might mean to each of the individuals. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great, Pat. Uh, thank you so much again for coming out on the SHIPS podcast. Oh, thank you for this opportunity and this honor. Thank you, Pat. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Pat Matsueda today. She is just a ball of knowledge and really thinks critically about how the writing profession can improve the world, specifically in our digital age. So I encourage you all to really take what she said and implement it into your own lives. So Pat, thank you so much for joining us on the show. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, comment, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave me a voicemail. Said voicemail may be released in a future episode of Ships, so feel free to call in. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with insightful messages and inspiring guests. So if you're interested in supporting, just scroll down into the show notes and click the link provided. If you're interested in having me as a speaker at your upcoming event, head on over to patmcandrew.com and contact me there. I would love to speak for you and your organization, your school, or at your community event. So feel free to get in touch. Thank you, as always, for tuning into the SHIPS podcast, everyone. I always appreciate your insightful listening in these topics and figuring out how we can develop more meaningful relationships with one another. So thanks for tuning in, and as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.